you're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is called About Face. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today. And this day I want to talk to you about a subject called About Face. Because it involves people who because of God's working in their lives, have changed from being anti-God to becoming followers of God, and about how they allowed Jesus into their lives. About face is a marching term, when the order means to turn and face in the opposite direction. And much of what I want to share with you today is about a lady who is involved in drugs and crime, and the changes that happened in her life. Her name is Pamela Perillo. She tells how she found God on death row. And if you don't know what death row is, she was um, uh, charged and sentenced guilty, and she was going to uh, die. Here is her story. She says... I grew up in the 1960s in one of the many daisy-chained suburbs surrounding Los Angeles. Seven of us, two adults and five children, struggled for a living space in a tiny two-bedroom rental house. My father worked on an assembly line during the day. My mother worked nights as a waitress. Our family was hard-working but the family was dysfunctional, like a house built on sinking sand. Church, religion and the Bible were all unknown. Mother was a pill popper. I don't know what she took or where she got them, but she was always looking for sleeping pills when she came home in the morning and something to get her going when she left for work in the evening. Whether down or up, she had a fiery temper and would spank us with whatever implement was handy. I always felt that she cared the least for me. I think that feeling was the lead domino in a spiralling loss of self-esteem. One day, when I was nine, she abruptly ran off with the cook where she worked. Perhaps she would have contacted us had it not been for a car crash that ended her life shortly thereafter. Dad, who never had more than a social drink, rapidly found solace in alcohol. One morning I awoke to find him molesting me. Eventually the police intervened, but he and my brothers were able to convince them that I was only having a bad dream. Well, That was the last proverbial straw. I felt isolated and unloved by a mother who had abandoned me, a father who had molested me, and siblings who didn't seem to care. So at the age of ten, I ran away from home, only to be picked up as a runaway. 
For three years, my life was a vicious recurring cycle. Running away from foster homes, being picked up like a stray dog, and being sent back to the juvenile institution. All told, I stayed in eight foster homes. Some were nice, but you weren't allowed to stay in those you liked because you might become too attached. Most gave you food and water, but little else. While I was in the juvenile institution, I learned about drugs from some of the older girls. A great way to forget your problems, they said. This was in the 1960s, and California was becoming a major narcotics hub. Little was known about the dangers of drugs, and they were easy to obtain. When I was high on the drug Secanol, commonly called Reds, my poor self-image disappeared. I was one of the gang. That's my group of other users. I was accepted, and I quickly had friends. At the age of 13, I met Sammy Perillo, who was 19. We crossed the border into Mexico and married in quickie fashion. To get close to Sammy and his drug of choice heroin, I started shooting up, that's injecting myself. Sammy and I had a beautiful little girl who died as an infant. After he went to prison, I, never, I gave birth to his twins, but only one survived, and I never saw Sammy again. To support my habit and my son, I danced at a strip joint. Needing money for drugs, and of course addiction is not cheap, I teamed up with a man named Mike Brittle to rob one of the frequent customers at the strip club. To escape California with Mike and his wife, we hitchhiked to Houston, Texas, where we were picked up by a stranger needing help to move into his new house. Mike noticed that the man had a roll of money. High on PCP, which is also called angel dust, we murdered him and his friend and left for Colorado. The three of us stayed in a seedy hotel in Denver, Colorado, but I realised I could no longer withstand the emotional upheaval in my mind. A little glow from a divine coal was waiting to burst into flames within me. My conscience troubled me so much that I confessed to the police and they extradited me to Texas, where I had been indicted in absentia for capital murder. A swift trial followed with a verdict of death by lethal injection. During my daily high in California, I'd often said, let me die with a needle in my arm. Now it would come to pass. My own words had condemned me. While I waited in Houston to transfer to a women's prison before my execution, a woman involved in prison ministry came to visit. This lady talked about Christ and his path to forgiveness. I was receptive, I was ready, and I was eager to hear more. 
Under her direction, I recited the sinner's prayer. After 24 years of being tossed about like a dry chunk of dirt, God poured in the waters of life and began moulding me for his purpose. Many believers encountered Jesus in dramatic fashion, and they had changed instantly. Like Saul on the Damascus Road, and for others like me, salvation means more like a process than a moment. It takes time. When I first accepted Jesus, I felt a change, but I found it hard to believe the change was for real. How could God ever forgive me for the horrible crimes I had committed? I couldn't believe that I could be forgiven. My soul was in torment. After I was transferred to a prison in Huntsville, Texas, the lady from Houston still visited me. She brought me a Bible, and to relieve my doubts she would frequently say, Pam, you must forgive yourself. To do otherwise is denying God's grace and mercy. The bed in my concrete cell was an iron slab, cantilevered from the wall. I crawled under it and pulled the covers down to the floor to form a tent. Inside I cried and begged God to allow me to speak in tongues. That did not happen. All I could manage were inarticulate groans. My tears covered the floor in puddles. But I continued studying the Bible where I learned that the Holy Spirit bestows many other spiritual gifts. Speaking in tongues is not a requirement to understand that you are accepted by God. It was only after a woman named Carla Faye Tucker arrived on Texas Death Row that I grew to experience full confidence in my salvation. I tried to lead her to Christ myself, but God meant it to come from another source, a prison puppet show performed by Teen Challenge, along with a free Bible. Carla Fay's redemption was dramatic, remarkable, and the subject of movies. Her vocal commitment to Christ resounded throughout the world before her execution, and her magnificent conversion was the spiritual cement I needed. I knew then that in Christ God can forgive anyone, no matter how bad their sins. Prison without Christ is probably as close to hell as one can come. You are alone, spiritually empty and consumed with hate. But we Christians have a joy that provokes others to ask why. Fortunately, the Texas prison system allows for church Bible study groups and even a faith-based dorm developed in Carla Fay's memory. These meetings are open to everyone, and I have shared my testimony on many occasions. In the year 2000, I received welcome news. 
My sentence had been reduced from death to life in prison. And today, as I pray for parole after nearly 40 years of incarceration, I give thanks for how God was directing my path to salvation, even in my lowest moments, even as I made one terrible choice after another. As grateful as I am to have escaped death row, I'm a thousand times more grateful for the promise of eternal life. And that's the end of Pam's story. But there are thousands of similar stories of conversion that could be told, such as that of Professor Walter Veit. Veit was a professor of the zoology department at the University of Cape Town in Africa, where he taught in the medical bioscience department. During this time, the department was awarded a Royal Society London grant for zoological research. Dr. Veit was an atheist and an avowed evolutionist and scoffed at those who believed in God. But, like the Apostle Paul, God knew his heart, and eventually Dr. Veit did an about-face And instead of making fun of those who believe in God, he now teaches, preaches, and lectures on the truth of God's Word, the Bible, and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The Bible records other about-faces with people like Nicodemus, the Jewish Pharisee who came to Jesus at night. Eventually, he too became a follower of Jesus though it cost him his esteemed social status, his position of honour in the Jewish council, and it probably cost him his fortune. Like Paul, he regarded his former life as worthless in comparison to what he gained. In Acts 22 verse 3, the Apostle Paul speaks about his former life. He said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the most prestigious teachers. I was taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Paul had a life that had everything going for it. He added more information concerning his zeal and attempt to do everything according to the letter of the law. As far as being a devout Jew was concerned, that is. What he said is recorded in Philippians 3, in verses 3 to 6. He tells of how he hated the Christians, and was so zealous for his Jewish religion, that he took groups of men and raided homes where Christian believers lived. He arrested them and had them imprisoned, persecuted and killed. Today, we would call Paul a fanatical religious terrorist who regarded his cause of more importance than human rights and human life. 
but he too had an encounter with Jesus. And in a very short time, he did his own about-face. He became a Christian himself and spent the rest of his life building up rather than destroying the Christian body of believers. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. Just a woman Help me believe What I could be And all that I am Show me the stairway Just before the break, I was telling you a little bit about the Apostle Paul. And Paul spoke about his past life, and this is what he had to say. It's recorded in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He said, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. You see, to become a Christian meant much, much more than all the worldly wealth, position, status and power Paul had formerly. And then in verse 10, Paul puts it into even clearer perspective. He said, That I may know him, that's Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul proved his point not just with words, because words are easy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, he tells how he endured all sorts of things for Jesus' sake. Five times he had been whipped, each time receiving 39 lashes. Three times he had been beaten by rods. Once he had been stoned, that his stones were thrown at him, until the attackers thought he was dead. Three times he'd been shipwrecked and once spent a night and a day drifting in the sea, clinging to a piece of driftwood. Then there were the constant everyday dangers, dangers in the sea, dangers from robbers, dangers from the Jews who planned to ambush and kill him, plus other dangers. He also spoke about being exhausted, hungry, thirsty, cold and even sometimes without clothes. Yes, it was someone who loved the Lord, who appreciated what the Lord had done for him, and someone who was true to his calling, and that was Paul. In Acts chapter 3 and 4 is the story of what happened when, after the return of Christ back to heaven, Peter and John were the instruments through whom God healed a man who'd been lame from birth and who begged for alms at the gate leading to the temple in Jerusalem. Everyone who witnessed the miracle was amazed, and the Jewish leaders had Peter and John arrested and the next day assembled to put Peter and John to trial. In his address to the Sanhedrin, that is the council of Jewish leaders, Peter told them in no uncertain terms that the power to heal the man came from Jesus Christ, who they had formerly murdered by crucifixion, but who rose to life again. The trial was a fiasco. There were no grounds to convict Peter and John. They had committed no crime. They had done nothing to offend the Jews. They had not been troublemakers. The council, however, of the Sanhedrin, were amazed that these two men on trial spoke clearly, logically and powerfully, although they came from the peasant class in society. They were formerly fishermen. What had brought about such a dramatic change. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 provides the answer. It says, 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And here's the good bit. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Yes, being with Jesus, that makes all the difference. It made the difference with the Apostle Paul. It made the difference with Walter White, and it made the difference with Pamela Perillo. It made the difference with Harry Orchard, who murdered 18 innocent people. And it's made the difference with multi-thousands of others who've had their lives changed. There is power in the Word of God, and there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power to change lives, including your life. Don't ever think that you've been so bad that God can't forgive you. He can and will if you ask him. You see, you can't out-sin God's grace. He has the power to turn you from being a nobody into being somebody special. Like with Paul, he can turn you from your sinful way of life to become a happy, joyful, beautiful person. But you have to give Christ the chance. Nothing will happen if you continue to hang on to your old destructive ways. Give God a chance. Then people will notice the change you, changed you, I should have said, they will notice your about face and they will see that you have been with Jesus. Oh, my friends, if you haven't ha yet had your own experience with Jesus, do something about it now. Lift up your heart to God and say to him, God, I know you're there. Please forgive me for what I've done wrong. Come into my life and Make the changes that you want, because I'm sick and tired of being the old me. Please make me new. And friends, I do so hope that you will do that and become one of God's children. So, my friends, that's it for today. Be listening next time, won't you? Until then, this is Len signing off and wishing you that beautiful relationship you will have when you have been with Jesus.
手。